You are listening to selfdiscoverymedia.com, where illumination and inspiration is but a click away. With so many genre topics for you on everything that you need to know in life, we celebrate and share the people who have taken the journey before you and who are now here to serve you with their wisdom and their knowledge. The next show coming up is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and this is Building Your Business with Zoe Ralph from Australia. It's all about the people stuff. You know, um, as people, we go and do stuff, we say stuff, we think stuff, and it doesn't always kind of really work for us. And I think looking at the people stuff and how we can actually look at life more simply in a more fun, adventurous way while you're learning. Uh, as she says, why smart people do dumb things, the power of uh, perspective and leadership, loyalty, and that four devils of people stuff. So why do we do the dumb things? Where does that come from? Is it past programming? Um, what kind of leadership are we? And because don't forget, you are the leader that is leading everybody else. Where's the loyalty to yourself and your calling and your mission? And what are those four devils of people stuff that gets in our way? So this is a lady who's taken the journey in life. She's been 30 years doing this kind of work, building it up so that it's something that now serves you. Uh, she's a cancer survivor. She gets out there and enjoys life tremendously. She loves nature and she just gets on with it and doesn't get so stuck in the people stuff please do share zoe because we all get stuck in people stuff <laughs> we all do it's certainly the biggest challenge that every leader has um, is in dealing with the people stuff so i'm delighted to be here i'm very grateful for the opportunity to share a little bit of what i know and to um explore this topic a bit further with you sarah Mm -hmm. Yes, um, the four devils. Okay, I mean, it's such a great, uh, I'm sure there's more than four, but um, what are those key four devils that, you know, get in our way? Because we are the people that get in our own way. It's not, you know, we love to blame everything else, but it, it really is our perspective and our attitudes that get in the way, isn't it? Yeah. So the four devils come from a combination of four things. So, when it comes to the people stuff that's problematic, um, we often look to behavior as one of the symptoms uh, or presenting issues from the people stuff. Underneath it, we have emotions that mm. create a bunch of problems and attitudes around that as well as beliefs. So it's kind of a combination of those four things that create problematic stuff when we're dealing with people. I think it's not so much well, I guess programming has um, a little bit to do with that. It's more how we respond to the different contexts. And underneath all the problematic behavior and presenting symptoms is fear. It's fear of isolation. It's fear of rejection. It's all these basic human issues that cause us to get derailed. And so what happens is that people who, all people I believe are fundamentally good and they don't want to cause problems at work. <laughs> they want to show up and they want to make a contribution and something has disturbed their ethos and they have these four elements come to the foray and they create issues. So you have someone show up and they're a bit of a storm driver. So their emotions and their uh, beliefs stir up and they create this kind of rage and, and they, they cause uh, 
drama around them. There's a bit of a storm driver. They create and drag people into them, uh, which is uh, in, into their issues. And they kind of recruit fellow whingers, if you like. <laughs> I love that word in Australia, whinger. <laughs> it's such a good, good one. Um, and then we have the people who, so that's a little bit different than the fire starter who has got an attitude and a belief and they want to actually take down uh, the, the leadership team, if you like, mm-hmm. or the organization as a whole, because they're so fundamentally enraged with what's going on. And they will seed seeds of discontent and <sighs> trying to uh, upend everything. Um, so that's, that's a pretty problematic behavior that leaders often deal the, with. The shoot stairs, as we would call them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, a very straightforward way of describing that. <laughs> and then you have um, the water bombers. And the water bombers are those, those of us who get really emotional at work, so much so that their emotions are driving all of their interactions and they don't seem to be able to manage or monitor them at all. And so they show up and water bomb everybody with their emotional wake. And it causes quite, it's distressing for others around them because they're not quite sure how to handle this person. And in fact, I was in a meeting the other day where I started off the meeting because we were talking about people stuff. I said, what's the kind of behavior that drives you nuts? And one of the women said, you know, people who are unpredictable and inconsistent. So one day they're happy and next day they're like uh, full of woe. So these are kind of the four devils that I see um, happening in workplaces. Um, but if you unpick it a little bit, it's a lot more of a human driver. And I think compassion can help mend some of the issues there. Yes. I mean, really kind of common denominator of a lot of those things is our emotions, isn't it? And, and they inability to kind of handle our emotions um, and we seem to be imposing our emotions on other people and a lot of the time to fix one's problem or, or you know as you said I'm angry or this or that I've got I've got to get somebody else to be angry as well and um, we love to share emotions if they're productive you know if there's something that's very positive but when they become something that is disruptive and then there's a ripple effect of that disruption triggering all those other perspectives and that's when you just end up with kind of a tornado of stuff going on and and no productivity at all that's absolutely right and i think it comes down to a lot of us have not been taught Mm -hmm. or learned how to feel our emotions fully and be able to experience them without having them be in the driver's seat. So when I do work with people around their deep emotional awareness and intelligence, I talk about this idea of getting our emotions out of the driver's seat and putting them in the passenger seat. Mm. I think it's a mistake to think that we need to control our emotions. We need to manage them. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think that I just need to not feel things and I need to be this equilibrium. And that's not the natural state of humanity anyway. We always go up and down, but it's how we experience them. I think those of us who bring our negative emotions and let them take over uh, haven't haven't yet learned how to observe ourselves. And Mm -hmm. it's a key emotional intelligence skill is to be able to go, oh, I'm experiencing frustration right now instead of embodying the emotion and letting it become who we are, even our language is problematic. You know, I am frustrated. So Mm -hmm. we become the emotion of frustration instead of I have frustration in me right now. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, that that tiny little shift actually disperses the energy a little bit Mm -hmm. and gets it out of our body and and off to the side so that we can remain 
uh, with our best selves in the driver's seat, uh, the best selves that is wise and compassionate and peaceful, as opposed to this volatile entity of our emotional world. So my wish for the world is that we learn how to witness and experience our emotions and honor them because it is part of the fullness of life that we experience the whole gamut of grief and joy, uh, frustration and excitement, and that we can weave between them without being attached to any of them. I mean, our emotions are there to indicate what's going on or how we feel about something. But one of the problems is, is as you say, you put the emotions in the driver's seat and we become emotional. And I think it's what's causing this emotion, you know, be more inquiring, you know, um, what's causing this? Do I really need to take this on? Is this somebody else's emotion that is filtering through and triggering something in me? And I think we're inclined to jump in to an emotion without really actually understanding, has it got anything to do with me? Or is this an old trigger that's come up? Can I, can I just look at it and go, you know, really, I don't need you today. <laughs> you know, I acknowledge you. I see you. Bye-bye. But we are inclined to jump in at the deep end before realizing what we're jumping into. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, and I think you nailed it there, that self-inquiry and being curious about what is the information that our emotions are presenting to us and what it has to offer is one of the skills of being of advanced emotional intelligence. And like, Oh, hang on a minute. We're, what's the story behind this? Because all emotions are driven by story, whether we are consciously aware of them or not, it's just accumulation of experiences that we've put meaning on and we can put new meaning on any experience and take lessons from it. So, Learning how to manage the energy of emotions is a key a people stuff skill. And then as you pointed out, the other one or the next one is being able to look objectively at it or with curiosity and self-compassion too about, yes. oh, well, here's this pattern yet again. <laughs> yes. Um, what's it bringing up for me today? <laughs> what's triggering it too? Because suddenly you can yeah. find yourself feeling anxious or stressed or this or that and go, okay, I wasn't feeling like that a moment ago. What's triggering this? What's going on that this has switched this on? And again, you know, how am I going to manage it? Because I think one of the biggest problems, especially in the workplace, actually anywhere, is that we love to, as I said, impose our emotions, you know, impose how we're feeling on other people. And a lot of the time, because we want other people to fix the problem. But we've created that problem or the problem is around us and we have mismanaged it. And so we end up then blaming someone for it rather than taking ownership for it ourselves. Yeah, I love that one. So I love, um, yeah, triggers are an interesting one. It's like sometimes we don't even know what the triggers are until they happen. It's like, wow, I can't believe that comment just caused yes. me to have this volcanic eruption inside myself. <laughs> That's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and then trying to blame others, I think, is an interesting reaction as well. I was working with a, a gentleman. I just started working with him. He's, this, uh, he's a partner in a major organization. And um, the conversation said, I've been given some feedback that I'm a little bit too harsh and stern. He said with a harsh and stern voice. <laughs> and I need to change that, I guess. But I said, well, what do, you, what do you really want? He goes, I would just want people to show up and do their job. <laughs> yeah, where's mm. the invitation? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And then I said, he said, how do I, I said, what questions do you have? And he said, how, do, how does this work? How, am I, how, are, you, how are we going to make sure that we get results? I'm like, well, a lot of it depends on you. And he said, <laughs> what do you mean? I said, well, you know, your ability to take on feedback and to be self-examining is pretty critical to that. 
And I think the penny dropped for him when he realized like, oh, I have mm. been blaming everybody else for the situation. And just that comment, you know, I want everybody else to sort their stuff out so that I can carry on <laughs> is a way of deflecting and objectifying his own emotional frustration and blaming everyone else around him for it. And uh, I think when we start as leaders to press pause on that and go, if we're blaming everyone else, we, we're not really looking at our contribution because we are all co-creators in our experience. And uh, it's very easy to, to put blame elsewhere and not to take responsibility and right. fall into that state of victimhood. Um, and it's way more powerful the, the minute that we realize that we are co-creators and that we can do something different and create something different. Um, it's an interesting, I, th I like this idea or this, this place in our experience when we sit on the cusp of responsibility mm -hmm. and our sudden awareness hits there where we go, oh, I'm responsible. And that's at once terrifying. Yes. And then if we can move into the proactive space, get really excited by that going, oh, I am responsible. So I can create whatever. And uh, I'm, I'm going to pause that a second. Oh, sorry. Yes, no, 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 no. Pause, create. Yeah. When you pause and you can create something, when you're not demanding, you are inviting creation. I just wanted those two to be side by side there. <laughs> That's a wonderful insight. When you're not demanding, you allow space yeah. for creation. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. That's lovely. And it resonates a lot with what one of my mentors, Cindy Wigglesworth, if you're familiar, if you're not familiar with her work, has written a book called The 21 Skills of Spiritual Intelligence, which is all about advanced emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And um, it, her work informs a lot of um, my work. And she talks about the pause as, as doing spiritual weightlifting. So yes, that would yes. have, I love this one, right? So it's like the pause, don't, don't try and push everything, allow for that co-creation yes. and creativity piece. And the pause is, is the big weightlifting, spiritual weightlifting tool, because when you pause, you allow that space for A, compassion, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> compassion for self and compassion for others. And you can choose a better response. Or if you're doing creative piece, allow for a creative solution to, to emerge. Yeah. Yeah. You can't demand creativity. You know, I always say that these shows that we do are inspiration for invitation. When you inspire people, you're inviting them. To, to want to participate, to want to look at their own lives and how can I apply this in my own life? And, you know, and back quickly to that blame thing, while you're pointing a finger, there's three pointing back at you. Yeah. And you know, we've got to remember everything is a reflection of ourselves. So if we're getting attitude back at us, it is just a response to what we've yeah. been dishing out. So if we're not getting what we want back, maybe we need to change the way we're giving. Because in the giving and the inspiration, that is where you incite the creativity. And I think it's when you also open the door that it's not um, directed at this one or that one, but that it's an open door policy. Anybody can put their creative thoughts forward and everybody will be treated with the same respect. And I think that then becomes the invitation, isn't it? I love that. So, it, yes, it's a but everyone's ideas are welcome and that is how you invite or that's how you demonstrate respect and allow creativity to occur. I would add one other piece into that inspiration, uh, the invitation for inspiration. And then you add a big dose of perspiration into the mix. <laughs> <I think> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. That definitely has some um, bucket loads of it. <laughs> Come along with it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote, 
um, a beautiful book called Big Magic, which is all about the creative process. And um, she says, you know, I think for, for create creatives, when you're working alone, which is different to when you're working with others, the idea that you sit and you allow inspiration to occur is, happens occasionally. And she said the work of the artist is often that and <laughs> sitting down and pushing through those blocks and just doing the work. Yes. And if you wait for the muse to land upon your shoulder, then you'll be waiting a long time. It's delightful when it happens, when those little thought dishes swim past and you go, oh, I'll have that one. And you can <laughs> channel it into your work. And then often the time there's no thought dishes at all. And it's like, okay, I've got my blank page. I've got my empty screen off we go. Um, and that sort of elbow grease. And any creative knows that that putting the work into the world is the work. Yes. And yet, but I think where, where I sense you're coming from, though, is that is the energy behind that. You mm -hmm. can do it with dread or you can do it with delight. And I yeah. think when you have that pause invitation piece, it's the delight that drives the perspiration, uh, which makes the labor a labor of love instead of a labor of angst. Well, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, your life is about fun and adventure. And if we look upon yeah. our life as an adventure, I certainly do not want to have a manual to tell me which next step I need. You know, I, I kind of did that. You know, I did what I call the uh, society's expectations of me. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I just every time they talk about the sweat, I just couldn't, couldn't do it. It wasn't me. And it took a long time for me to realize, no, go and walk your own path. You have no idea where you're going, but you do know how to put one foot in front of the other. Be willing to explore and allow that inspiration to come to you and understand that every person you meet along the way is an ingredient in the dish. And I think we so much want direction and the manual. Well, how should I do it? What should I do? What's the next step? That we don't realize those are just tools in our backpack. You know, it's not something that you, you, okay, now I've got to step to the right or step to the left. No, it's just walk forward and know how to tap into your senses and be aware of what comes to you because that's the opportunity. And what are you going to do with it? Yeah, I like that as um, the direction being tools and yeah. frameworks. And I think that's a really insightful observation is that if you're trying to, I, you see this a lot in business where people just want the recipe. Just tell me what I need to do next yeah. to take me out of this doubt. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's such a hard mess to say, well, I, I don't have the answers for you. I have a couple of playbooks you can play with. Yeah. And I think that's the delightful aspect of it. And if you take that lightness to it, uh, you will see more possibilities opposed to trying to solve a problem. And yet it's such a difficult place to be because if you have real world challenges like needing to pay the bills and yeah. um, there are some real world consequences to not solving the problem, right. that, that can hamper the creative allowing, I think. I'm not sure. Do you agree with that? Or do you think even um, in yeah, no, anxiety uh, kills creativity? You know, anxiety leads to stress. Stress is the number one killer right now because it brings about all the other dis-ease and mm. the lack of productivity um, mm. because we get stuck. We literally freeze, you know, in that anxiety. And so the mm. more you worry about something, the less productive you're going to be. But when you do have, oh gosh, the rent is due, um, or the mortgage is due, or you know, I've got to put food on the table, and nothing is happening, of course you're going to get anxious about it. But it, it's kind of, I mean, more that kind of the devil's claws coming out there. It's like, are you going to give in to that emotion? 
Or are you going to find those tools where you can take five, take a deep breath, and look at, well, what step can I take forward right now? I don't need to take a leap, but what step forward can I take right now? And then I can gather a momentum as I go. But we get so stuck in that, oh my God, that we freeze. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I was just, um, as you were talking, going back to one of my darkest moments, which is going through cancer mm-hmm. and where, you know, a lot of things were on the line. And, yes. and I think there's a lot of people who have similar kind of very, very confronting experiences where you get to the bottom, you're, whether it's your rock bottom or pretty darn close. You sit in that space and go, what really matters? And what do I have control over? And there's so many factors over which you don't have control. And the only space to move forward is that little, well, I can control my thoughts. I can control my focus. I can take deep breaths and I can start to allow, allow appreciation of the moment, allow appreciation of the beauty. And in that deepest despair, you can find that sense of ease. And in that sense of ease, it's when you allow the disease to go away. And in the ease, you can start to rest. And in the ease, you can start to replenish. And even though when I was uh, going through cancer, I I couldn't work. So there was no money coming in. Mm -hmm. I had a roof over my head still. I had a little bit of money in the bank still. Um, I went backward in my business, but I went forward in my life. And it was such a wonderful experience through no 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 let's pause we're pausing again you went backwards in your business but you went forward in your life that Mm. is definitely a moment for pause because (laughs) i call that the redirect it was definitely a redirect experience that's for sure (laughs) yeah it was and um, look how much strength and courage that you discovered yeah about yourself you know And I think the realization of that didn't come for many years later. And I think it's an interesting thing that we do as humans is that we go through these extraordinary experiences, whether it's a painful one or a pleasurable one. And because we've just gone through them, we go, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just discount all these miracles. And uh, I, I think that's an, a weird thing that we do. I was talking to a friend about that recently. Now it's like we've, we were discussing our successes in business. And I said, you know, it just... We just showed this amazing stuff, you know, five years ago would be inconceivable <laughs> and me. kind of just being so blase about it. Mm-hmm. What is that? And she goes, well, I think we acclimatize. We acclimatize mm-hmm. these new levels of joy or new levels of pain. And uh, I think if we forget to explore and appreciate the miracles, we, we miss out on savoring those extraordinary moments in, in our world because no matter what's happening in our life and business, it is extraordinary. And I think that was the gift of cancer for me yes it's being able to every day see this extraordinary miracle of the universe around me and in the leaves on the trees and in the chickens in my yard and the ants crawling around and in the blue sky and going wow holy cow this is just abundance and beauty and everything uh, and i think remembering that is is the trick <laughs> i think you have the lesson but you got to keep you keep the, trying to keep the lesson with um, with me hasn't always been the easiest thing. Um, no, because we, as you said, sometimes we become, I think maybe even a little blasé about it. Um, but 
you know, just everybody I've ever interviewed that has had what I, you know, call the rock bottom or the cosmic two by four, you know, something they've had <laughs> to face, you know, as you said, beautifully said, you went backwards in your business, but forward in your life. Every mm. single one of them in going forward in their life has said, I really discovered my instrument, mm. what my calling is, what my meaningful purpose is. And because of what I went through, I am so much more empowered now to do what I need to do. Uh, in in every aspect of my life so that really is the gift that you're talking about isn't it that opening up an awareness to everything that you can do I wish it was more it was like the uh, the lightning bolt that the way that you describe it it was definitely not <laughs> well, it that. yeah I know I mean a trickle effect perhaps a little light bulb coming on here and there <laughs> yeah I think that's it, it's more it's more of like an unfolding like mm -hmm. petals of a flower opening a little bit by little bit um and because uh, the dramatic, ta-da, I know everything, uh, is way more exciting than the, the reality of just unfurling and unpeeling and um, opening to that. And yes, I agree with you that these kinds of experiences, if we do the work of interrogating, if we do the work of allowing, if we do the work of healing, then they become useful for us. Um, and I think they become the foundations on which we can then keep creating and keep contributing and keep um, honoring this gift of life. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a, a slower, gentler process mm. <laughs> than the lightning bolt. And, and, and not, uh, but it's also, it's not sweating the small stuff, <laughs> you know, because we're inclined to sweat the, sweat the small stuff, you know, oh, you said what, you know, hackles are up and it's like, oh, no, you know, forget it. I'm not taking it on. Um, you know, because I think when you've gone through something, it, it puts things into priority. It puts things into perspective more. And, um, you know, and then it just becomes something that's even more. Um, I'm pausing here for a second. I love the fact that you call it people stuff. It's very simple. You know, we've all got stuff that we need to deal with. And we all react somewhere along the line. And we've all got to catch ourselves and learn, learn how to manage our emotions. But how do you help people? What do you take people down? What's your program or your system? Uh, well, people stuff is the overarching, um, I guess, umbrella for some of the programs that I do work with. Um, I do team stuff in the people stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's really get, how about getting teams to understand each other's drivers. So in that program, we look at people's behavior preference and patterns. So we do a bit of people map reading. We do emotional intelligence. So we look at how people honor and witness and manage their emotions. And we also look at people's beliefs, which can get in the way of smart people um, doing dumb things or can mm -hmm. cause smart people to yeah. do dumb things. So unpicking a little bit of that bias. So the way that I work with people is that we, we unpack. So we do some training, we do some on the job training. Um, on the job exploration and activities to help them consolidate and work through those skills. The leadership stuff program I do is really exploring how leaders lead change, lead culture, uh, lead strategy and lead discussion. So it's about bringing their cognitive and emotional skills into the people stuff on a broader scale. And then the, the your stuff program is all about dealing one-on-one -on -one with the executives. And that's really exploring their leadership thinking, being and doing, how are they showing up? How are they thinking? How are they communicating and uh, exploring their energy as well. So mm -hmm. the fundamentals of the way that I do people stuff is that deep self mastery piece, which 
came and emerged through my cancer experience about how do we deal with ourselves so that we don't just neglect ourselves. So that's a little bit of a capsule of how I work with individuals and teams. Um, and then occasionally I get to speak at different conferences and share these ideas more broadly. It's so needed today. I mean, we've got caught up with this word leadership and we don't realize we're leaders in our own lives um, and that everything we put out is a reflection of who we really are. So this is, we need to be really mindful and I think heartful of how we present ourselves and bring the heart, the soul and the spirit into the equation as well. Um, and to realize that that leadership is one where we do inspire and that we do allow and invite, you know, collaboration, um, mm -hmm. a cohesiveness. And I think we've got stuck in, in maybe reflective of what's going on in the world, that leadership has become almost dictatorship and demanding ship. And we know that that doesn't invite anyone that repels people. But it's still kind of an old paradigm, isn't it? That kind of thought, I'm leader, what I say goes. And that isn't the way we do business anymore, is it? The leadership is the one that inspires people to contribute to the greater, greater project, the greater good. Yes, so the command and control aspect of leadership harks back to a different age where it was useful and effective in that context. Uh, we see elements of it um, pulling back, being pulled back into the, uh, the, on the global stage. And I think the reason that that's happening is because there's a certain attraction to being told what to do. There's a sense of security and safety in that one-way communication style. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we see the rise of the different political leaders who are taking that command and control hero style leadership. And yet there, at the same time, there's a developmental force that is drawing us forward into a different way of being, which galvanizes the creative power and energy and, and talent of all people who are, all of us are leaders in different contexts. You don't necessarily need authority to be a leader and certainly not in our own lives. And the, the pull towards collaboration and interconnectivity is being driven by our evolving context of being a global civilization and the technology platforms that allow us to be so interconnected. There is now becoming more of a compulsion and a calling um, and a need to be more interactive and collaborative and create the space that way. I think it's an interesting uh, challenge for us as a society to be able to, to do the dance between the old paradigm and the new one. Um, because there's a lot of people who are not yet ready to do the collaboration piece. They're not, they don't feel safe enough in their current context to be able to leap into that. And I think you do need some grounding in who you are and where you are in order to be able to be effective in that new style. Um, and all the kids, kids, young adults who are coming <laughs> into the workplace now, but I don't know if about you, but anybody under 30 feels like a kid to me. <laughs> hey, at my age, everybody is a kid. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so these wonderful global citizen new employees have a very different sense of the world. Yeah. They've experienced it differently and they want to, they want to collaborate. They want to contribute straight out of the gates. And this is a wonderful creative force that we have an opportunity to leverage and to build on. And I think that kind of approach is going to solve a lot of our global problems as well as our national problems and our business problems because none of us is as smart as all of us. And right. I think we mm. can create well in that space.
Yeah, I, I say that um, our activism has now become our actionism. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that we are really, instead of talking about it, more wanting to do something about it, you know, acting on it. And what we see with, uh, you know, 30, under 30s, uh, they actually are more in action. But I also find that they really want to simplify things, you know, kind of go back to basics, bring an awful lot of kind of nature into the way they look at life and understand mm -hmm. that everything has a purpose and everything there is if you just look at nature the systems are absolutely incredible and if we kind of tapped into that we would actually see that there are some natural processes that work and we've come along kind of thinking we're more intelligent or more superior and it's going to be done our way and mm, history has shown us that perhaps that wasn't working so that integration with nature which because i know you're very involved in that you're very involved in the outdoors that it really comes into play the way we see things and the way we respect and value things but also the way that we then go and do things in our, our own lives that systems thinking that you refer to which nature presents to us yeah. as a great learning opportunity yes. is definitely a hallmark of advanced leadership thinking and we have to go through these different stages of, of <clears throat> being able to problem solve in a linear way before we can move to more complexity. And I think it parallels the pull back to command and control. So command and control is all about linear problem solving and it's reassuring because this is the way it's black and white. The reality of the world and of our, of our context is that no, we actually operate in very complex and dynamic and ever evolving systems like nature. And the more we able to play and it is a sense of needing to play yes in that dynamic environment uh the better able we are going to be able to be responsive and lighter with it and i agree with you the newer generations they want to it's a great paradox let's simplify in the complexity mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. there, a lot of them are doing they're participating in this global context and then they're simplifying their lives the movement to um, minimalism is rife mm -hmm. amongst younger people. A lot of them are not buying cars, not buying houses. Yes. They're going, what's the point? <laughs> yes. You know, self-driving cars will be here in a moment and we can leverage that system, that interconnectivity yeah. so that there is more prosperity. And this idea of hoarding is, is moving away, is, yeah. is let go of in these younger generations. Um, the systems piece is a really, is a really useful one. And it, it takes a lot of, uh, centeredness to be able to explore that kind of dynamic because it is destabilizing when you've come from a command and control black and white yeah. environment to look at complexity that's incredibly frightening until you find the liberation that it offers but it is a transition that is uh, difficult to navigate at times and this is where the teamwork comes in you know I'm, I'm a blueprinter you know I see possibilities you know oh, and this could happen and that could happen and you know I've, I've got the whole building up but I absolutely wouldn't know which brick or which wire goes where I need you know the constructor and this is where the teamwork is good because then each one of us has a strength you know to apply to the vision you know, somebody, I see this, oh, yes, and we could do that, and this could happen, and but, okay, we run into this problem, but if you did it this way, and all of a sudden, the whole team is inspired and involved because they've all been invited to participate, and rather than one leader mm -hmm. kind of saying, no, it's going to be, it's like, mm -hmm. well, what if, what if, you know, mm -hmm. and if we can, how can we, 
And you can throw out a million ideas and it may be only a hundred that actually work. But if you don't allow all of those ideas to be put out there, how are you going to know which hundred will work? Mm. It requires of the leader, i.e. the person with authority, mm. to let go of their ego. Oh, uh, yes, please, please do talk about ego. That's a huge <laughs> one. <laughs> and um, ego, capital ego, so the idea of um, vanity, I guess, disappears a little bit. And what I see with leaders, as they start to redefine their role in, in the workplace. So instead of being the hero, which has a sense, that's how they get their sense of pride in being able to solve problems and dictate. We move away from that. And it's a difficult transition to then sit into the leader as co-creator. And the need to be recognized and appreciated as the solution finder has to dissolve. And our role and how we define ourselves in allowing the creative space for other geniuses to put forward their work and not having to, the need to own the solution, which yeah. is a capital e ego, is an important piece of maturity. And to delight in the co-creation of the group, the team, is a new stage of leadership maturity. And it's a selflessness, it's a service, which is quite different to being the solution in earlier stages. Um, and it's quite a powerful transition to make, and it needs a lot of support to do yeah. that. Um, and a lot of humbling, self-reflection so for example a leader i was talking about earlier who says what do you want i want everybody to just, just fix themselves <laughs> <laughs> it's quite humbling when you put the mirror up and go well you know you're causing some of the issues mm -hmm. um let's explore that and uh it's it, it can be a painful process as well as an enlightening one yeah i mean first you know myself um you know you are a reflection so if there is discord out there, you know, you have to look to yourself and your own leadership pattern and what are you vibrating out to everyone. And where, you know, I think it's also good for people to say, look, I'm going through something right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to have the answers or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a flux right now. And maybe you don't want to invite anyone to come in and, and do anything, just simply be support for you. But I think in a workplace, a lot of people are too scared to say, look, I'm going through something at home because they don't want everybody piling in or they don't want to be judged or there's something that they're working out, but they just simply need, it's okay, I'm, I'm there when you need me. And if you, you can't be up to full speed right now, I understand. You've just taken that pressure off somebody and you've allowed them to deal with what they need to deal with. And they're going to remember that and when they come back, they're going to come back with that gratitude and full force again. So there's a lot of give and take that has to happen, isn't there? There is. Uh, it's, it's another polarity and paradox, I guess. Um, well, polarity rather than paradox in that we need to allow the space for people to manage their own selves. And yeah. uh, at the same time, they need to deliver. So mm. there's a, t a to and froing, a, a push and pull around that. And the leader who sits in management or in relationship with the people to whom they are responsible um has has to weigh that up you know there's there and i agree with you like i think leadership leaders who serve with compassion mm -hmm. do that better and at the same time if they don't do it that well they can be taken for a ride so there that's sort of where the polarity yeah. can go off the mark a little bit if you allow too much latitude and too much um space then they can be taken advantage of. And that is, that, that's moving into some of the 
devils of people stuff yes um, where things get out of balance and you don't have you need to pull it back but in overarching my my recommendation and it sits alongside yours is that show up with compassion be curious and supportive and uh, create that space where it's okay for people to say i'm having uh, a difficult time mm -hmm. and i think leaders need to learn how to do that and they need to create the space for that i was talking to different organization teams in different organizations where it's like it's it is not safe to discuss your personal stuff at work it's right. like you do get judged and you do get black labeled so i think it's an aspiration it's not aspirational well no it's it is an aspirational thing that all workplaces should have that context that allows people to bring their whole selves to work and yes. be able to explore yes. and, and and um, if you want the best discuss. of them, yes, let them, you know, don't let them come. I'm only giving you a 10% of me mm -hmm. because the other 90% is, you know, going to be judged. No, you want people to feel comfortable that they can bring all of themselves to mm -hmm. the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that is, yeah. that is a dicey one though, isn't it? Depending on the size mm -hmm. of the company and. Mm -hmm. That's right. Bigger companies have more uh, absorption power than smaller mm -hmm than smaller um, businesses where if you do have one player out of action it does have a massive yeah. overload on everybody else around them um, which I think makes it even more important to know each other well and to be able to be seamless in the support otherwise it turns into resentment and, and yeah. the whole culture can uh, get undermined I call those those folks who complain about that tectonic splitters so they're kind of like they move the earth underneath the ground and they cause these craters to emerge because they sit and they whinge and they undermine and they termite hole and all of a sudden the whole thing goes and, and quite honestly i mean it's perhaps don't employ those people let them go and work it out you know why am i unemployable maybe because you whinge too much you know again that's that accountability isn't it that responsibility you know what are you bringing to the table and if it's a whole load of you know yeah well that won't work well, i won't bother <laughs> who needs the naysayer if it's constructive criticism well you're going to run into that problem well, then that presents somebody looking for a solution. But if it's just like, no, not going to work, who needs them? <laughs> yeah. The Eeyores of the world. Yes. <laughs> Braying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to know. Like, is it, is it, a, is it a habitual pattern or mm. is it just a temporary one? So I was working with um, an, an architect and he, he has a very small team. There's five of them. And he was discussing this ongoing issue with a staff member who was being secretive and he was worried about, about the behavior and wondering if he was being taken advantage of, he was doing, uh, you know, doing personal stuff on work time. And finally the leader and said, hey, <laughs> you know, what's going on? Are you happy here? I think you don't like this particular work that you're doing. What if we move you to a different side of the business and you can do that. And all your other personal projects, why don't we just bring them into the fold of the organization? And the turnaround was enormous. Right. And so that's like a good news story. So somebody who was a bit sort of a bit of a tectonic splitter or, you know, disappearing into the woodwork kind of attitude, really it was because they didn't know how to express or even knew that it was okay to to say, I don't like this kind of work. I'd rather be doing that. Right. And so they were trying to solve their problem in a underhanded way instead of being open and it took the leader to change his approach to invite and allow a conversation where they could create a different solution that brings people out so i think this is an interesting one you know our it's easy to brand people mm. 
with these labels, which is <laughs> what I do in talking about four devils of people stuff. Um, I think there are some personalities, uh, particularly personality disorders that are hardwired and but they're rare. And most, most of the time, this behavior problem is soft wiring. It's programming as opposed to hard wiring. And I think the technique in hiring is trying to figure out, it's like, are you hardwired for craziness or are you, <laughs> you soft wired? And right. um, where, what can we do to manage that? I think that's a difficult thing to, to explore in, or to discover in an interview. And yes. sometimes we have to work it out later. <laughs> right. Yes. And, you know, I mean, and, the other, you know, we talk about the invitation of people putting forth, but not everybody is gregarious or, or you know, is comfortable with being able to open up. And so, therefore, if somebody wants to see you one on one, well, I've got a thought, but I didn't want to bring it to the table. That's just not their forte. But maybe they want to write an idea down. And again, that comes down to the leadership to recognize the person. Well, this person isn't verbal. This person's mm. going to take everything in and maybe have an idea mm. later. My door is open. No, no idea is too crazy. Um, when you're ready, come in and present it or, or drop me something off, a draft or whatever. Because very often you have the gregarious people and they, others just think, well, I can't, can't do it that way. But every voice is needed. So we've always got to create other avenues, don't we, for, to hear them as well in whatever way we can. Mm, that's absolutely right. And that again is is the the service mentality of the leader is to understand what are your preferences of your people i was having a great conversation yesterday with colin ellis who wrote the book uh, culture fix and he was talking about that you know it's like find out how your people like to be communicated with is it yeah. text is it phone call yeah, yeah. Uh, and you adjust your style based on what their preferences are because as a leader you need to be in service to the people that you're leading um and I think being curious about that and wanting to discover that and being able to be flexible is one of the most important aspects of doing leadership well. And um, it has, that doesn't exist in the command and control environment. <laughs> no. No, it's my way or the highway. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. You've got to be kind of become a pretzel. You know, my son opened up a restaurant two years ago. Before he opened up, I, I said to him, it's going to be like having twins. And then I went away for a while. And when I came back, he said, you lied. And I got, I did. He said, it's like having triplets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know, you've got your clientele, you've got your staff, you've got your suppliers and it's the constant management and juggling. You know, of trying to keep everybody happy, because if your staff aren't happy, your clientele's not going to be happy. The, the kitchen staff aren't going to be happy. The food isn't going to be good. The atmosphere is going to be bad. So it really is about, you know, happy workforce means happy clientele and happy clientele yeah. means more business. So it really is do invest in your people. Uh, invest in yourself so you can invest in your people because then you're going to see that ripple effect of productivity going out everywhere, aren't you? Absolutely. So there's two things I'd respond to in what you just said. One is that the capacity of the organization is limited by the capacity of the leader. And that's um, from Cindy Wigglesworth. And I always think that that's absolutely true. So there, if you want to grow your business, you need to grow yourself as the leader <laughs> is the fundamental piece. And then I love this example of the restaurant and, and showcasing the interplay of the systems. Like it's a perfect example of the interplay of systems, the customer dynamic, the um, supplier dynamic and the staff dynamic and the environment in which they find themselves, the financial one, the, uh, the environmental one, 
the social one all contributes to this play. And so it's, um, is it like managing triplets? <laughs> it's definitely, it's, it's definitely lots of variables in there. Yes. Um, and yeah. all different personality triplets too, you know? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <of course. laughs> and, I don't think, go yeah. ahead. I mean, management, that's really the key to everything, isn't it? Managing our emotions, managing our perspectives, managing um, uh, the people around us. You know, it all comes down to systematically learning how to manage things in a way that is honorable, respectful, invitational, and productive. Yeah, I think that the management piece is coupled also with the curiosity piece. So mm -hmm. there's this this management of the energy around all of those things of the thinking, the being and the doing and being able to process that and channel that in the moment. And then the curiosity aspect of that is being able to then at the end of the day, beginning of the day, reflect on that. Mm -hmm. How did that, how did those things that I managed today, self, other systems uh, work? Where were the areas that could be improved on? Where are the areas that were glitchy and had some friction in them? So the idea of doing and reflection, it's an old model, the experiential model from Kolb, which is plan, do, review. And I think there's that cyclical nature of it that comes into play with the management. So uh, the doing and exploration, reflection and application is all incredibly important as leaders. So I think for contemporary leaders to be successful in such a dynamic context need a strong reflective practice. And I always encourage journaling for that. Mm. where you, you come with a sense of curiosity, inquiry to your experience and so that you can grow and, and grow from it. Right, exactly. And, you know, and I think is another huge one, which is humbling, is the ability to apologize. Hmm. You know, I apologize if I've been rather gruff with you lately or if I've been this or that, you know, this is the stress right now or the clock that we're under or this or that. Um, I'm sorry if I've taken it out on you. I'm, you know, could we all work together here so it's not so much on my shoulder? And you will find people will go, yes, yes, what can I do? How can we do this? And because that's that invitation to do it together. But, you know, same, I think one of the big words that we, we don't want to use in business is vulnerability. Uh, but we're all human. And, and to show that vulnerable side isn't a sign of weakness. I think it's a sign of respect. You know, um, because you're showing that you are also human. You also need compassion sometimes. I think this idea of vulnerability is an interesting one. It's been showcased extensively and well by Brene Brown. And I think as a word, uh, not necessarily as a concept, as a word, she hasn't yet managed to um, reinvigorate it. Well, that's not quite the right word. Um, it still has connotations of weakness mm. to it. Yes. And I think um, the principle behind it is, is sound. I think the ability to share our emotions and to admit that we haven't been our best selves is, is what vulnerability means. And I think rather than, and she describes that as being raw, you know, the ability to be vulnerable is about being raw, you know, showing yes. your, your soft underbelly yeah. and that, that, that's what vulnerability is. I think there's a better articulation of that. And that's the, it's the expression of being real. Mm -hmm. And it comes back mm -hmm. to my notion of getting the emotions out of the driver's seat and putting them in the passenger seat. Yeah. And when we're real, we can experience emotions without having them lash out and dump or be a storm driver or a water bomber over people. And 
you're right. If we do happen to forget that and the emotions get out of the passenger seat and back in the driver's seat and they ram, ram, ram shot to sit and say, I'm sorry, I was not my best self. Um, this is what I'd like to do to make amends if possible is, is a sign of great strength and a great sign of open heartedness and a great sign of being absolutely real. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, when we acknowledge that we have, we experience these emotions and if we do let them sneak in and take over, rawr, yes, <laughs> raise um, their ugly head. Yeah. And that we, and we recognize that and apologize for that. We're setting a great tone and platform for others um, to be able to become real with their emotions and to know that we all have them it, and we can all learn how to manage them better. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the more that we do that, the less they do tend to take over and the response rate and the acknowledgement becomes quicker. I was having a conversation with my husband just the other day, yesterday, in fact, (laughs) and he came home tired and grumpy. He'd had a crappy day. And um, we were talking about this, this food service thing that I signed up for, for during the day. And he was like, why did you do that? What's the deal? And he was like, he just vented all of his Mm -hmm. angst around this topic. And um, I'm like, fine, we'll cancel it. So we, it, was a, it was our version of a tiff, which is really like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and um, as I was leaving to go t- to uh, a meeting at the end of the day, he's, he, he said, you look really lovely. I'm like, that's really nice. He goes, I know, I haven't been that nice. I've been tired and grumpy. So I'm sorry about that. And that little moment of connection and, and admission and was all that it took to mend whatever irritation was in the room. And that's taken 17 years in our relationship to get to the point where we can have those little uh, friction points and being able to recover and have our relationship enriched in doing that. Because it would have been very easy, and I think this is what happens in a lot of relationships, both personal and professional, to have these little gripes and then they get parked yes. under the carpet. It's like yes. there's a little wound in there. The fermentation um, that keeps growing and growing until it blows right. out of proportion. You don't even know what it was about in the first place. It's all these little things. And I think him saying sorry, it's a sign of respect. You know, yeah. we you know, we all, you know, yeah, you know, come home and, and go, uh, you know, tell us about your bad day. Get it off your chest. But don't yeah. take it out on me, right? And, uh, you know, get it off your chest. I say spend your emotion so you don't become emotional. And mm-hmm. that's something I think we need to learn to do. Spend the emotion. Know that it's got nothing to do with you, but they just need to get it off the chest. And now deep breath, we can go about our day. But if they don't, and, or we don't, and we get angst, then it's, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nothing to do with you. I just vented. My apologies for dumping it on you. And again, going back, that apology is a sign of respect, isn't it? And, you know, that sometimes that's all what somebody wants to hear is, I'm sorry. You know, I was out of line. I'm sorry. And it means a great deal because it means they acknowledge that they did something to upset you or that was out of sorts. And, and really, a lot of the time, people just want that validation that, you know, it wasn't them. You were just taking it out on them. Yeah. And it takes an awful lot of self-awareness to be able to do yeah. that. Um, and to say, oh, hang on a minute. I'm actually not really irritated. Oh, we have a wobbly. Okay, are you going to come back? I'm sorry, this is what's going on there. 
and then uh, you're going to have to repeat that love because you froze for a moment so oh, just, did I? Okay. yes you did you sure. were i'm going to cut that out okay the, yeah there's been lots of times in my marriage where um I've been not on my best self and I've lashed out at my husband and, and made sort of, and then realized like, oh, it's nothing to do with him. <laughs> it's actually all to do with this stuff boiling over. And I think it takes a, a lot of self-awareness and self-reflection to realize that because it comes back to that conversation we were saying earlier about blaming, you know, it's yeah. like, you are the source of the problem. You never listen. And all of a sudden we've got the finger pointing going and we've got the foot stamping going and we're externalizing all mm. this angst when really it's, it's whatever story we're telling ourselves about the incident or series of incidents that have happened up to that moment. And when we come back into that higher clarity that this is somebody we love and care about and the incident is something outside of all of that, then we can, we can unplug the emotion through an apology and come back down to earth and have a sensible discussion about the issue. We may still disagree about the issue, but we don't need to come out with claws and rake right. at each other yeah well, i think sometimes just redirect what i used to do with my kids when they fought um i would make them hug and kiss each other and they were a girl and boy and it was ew and if <laughs> you know again if they weren't listening you know mom's voice was not heard i started singing opera and that shut them up <laughs> you know so sometimes <laughs> have somebody go and do something completely silly you know and 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 out of the thing kind of has you snap out of yourself and then, you know, you're taking yourself too seriously here. You know, are you finished now? Okay, let's get on with the day. And that's sometimes we need that, don't we? Just to kind of snap it. So, you know, it's looking at what is going to switch the channel. That's a beautiful circuit breaker. So I think um, having something humorous to do, mm. be a circuit breaker is really useful for that. Um, <laughs> that's a really good one. <laughs> Yeah, my no, you don't want to hear me well. sing opera. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to shut mum up. <laughs> well, I think yeah. that's, that's sometimes, we, you know, that we're sweating the small stuff. We're taking ourselves too seriously. We're getting too wrapped up in the emotion. And sometimes just having that something, it's, it's a circuit breaker that can just switch it. And then they can do something silly. Uh, and then let's, okay, let's all just take a breath. Take a breath. And the then... One that Revisit. The one that we use in our marriage is, have you got your grumpy pants on today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's like, yes, I do. And that sort of, that is enough yeah. to snap us out of whatever, right. where the emotions come in with a story and they're starting to take over. It's like, oh yes, grumpy pants. We can take those grumpy pants off <laughs> and try again. Right. With happy pants. <laughs> and then you can do that in the workforce too. You know, maybe, you know, um, you find out, because humor in work is really important, isn't it? And I'm not talking about raunchy, you know, humor. I'm talking about the ability to make fun of the situation or to lighten things up. And we need to really do that now and again. And so you've really got to know your staff. This is where you really need to invest in your staff of knowing who they are. Who is your team? How can you approach something? Because you don't want to tell a joke on it upset someone else but how can you make light of a situation again to to kind of just bring everybody back to that breath have a good laugh and go okay you know now let's get back to really what the problem is and um, and that's a technique again that some people may have naturally and some people have to learn oh i agree with that i think yeah some people are, are really good at knowing where the tension is and just yeah. having a wise crack to be able to crack it open and um 
and then some others don't they, they they simmer in the tension and they haven't learned awareness of that but yeah. it's definitely a skill that you can learn it's like okay let's lighten this up a little um and i think becoming sensitive to energy patterns and flow mm. and dynamics in a room is again a really important people stuff skill that uh, leaders can develop you know we've mentioned well you've mentioned energy all the way through that and we've got to realize something energy is everything um, through our blood stream, the oxygen, the flow of everything that runs through us is energy. Everything around us is energy. Everything is measurable in frequency and hertz. Um, when we talk about vibrations, it's all energy. And in which we set the tone of something is an energy. And so the energy that we bring to the table in everything we do in our lives is the energy that's going to be, you know, received and, and responded to. So you know, if we are in a bad space or, or, you know, cancel the meeting or go and do something to change your energy signature, but don't go and bring that negative energy to the table um, because that energy really will set the way the flow is going to go, isn't it? Because energy is our life source. It's our life chi. It's everything. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think it, it, it takes, again, a bit of awareness to, to work that out. And then when I was going through cancer, I read a lot of books on mind-body connection mm -hmm. and energy-based things because I was really wanted to be invested in my own healing. And uh, this idea of becoming aware of where the energy patterns are around us is, um, it was liberating actually yes. to think about that. And that a sense of interconnectedness is, is quite uh, is quite astounding. And um, it's interesting. I've been reading a couple of pieces around astronauts and their experiences in space. And there's an enormous amount of them who had these extraordinary experiences. It's an extraordinary experience being out in space. But they had this overwhelming sense of uh, universal connection. So uh, basically an enlightenment experience is where they, mm -hmm. they, they had the sense that they realized as they're sitting there floating in, in space that their stardust, the ship is stardust, the, the moon and the earth is all stardust. We're all part of the same thing. And the sense of energy per, permeating everything was completely overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And each astronaut has returned to earth with a completely different perspective. And um, I wrote about this recently this week on my blog about this. How do we do that? Not all of us will have a chance to go mm -hmm. into space and have that interconnection. And when we're having an argument with our child or with a, with a colleague, we can forget that we're all yes. stardust and we're all yes. interconnected, you know, because we've got these very visceral issues. And yet if we can latch onto that and remain tethered to that little concept, it's actually a massive concept, mm -hmm. remain tethered to that concept that we are all essentially energy, then the stories about our human narrative dissolve a little bit and we can play more lightly in the moment yes. and we could bring a different kind of energy to the discussion, to the experience. Um, and we can, we can be more of a leader in guiding the energy um, as opposed to a director of it or a suppressor of mm. it. And I love the fact that you pointed that out, that we're all energy and it's such a useful frame for us to just ease mm. a little bit. So uh, create that space and pause and allow, invite for inspiration, mm. as you say. Well, the energy isn't just, you know, on the top of our shoulders. You know, this is the CPU. You know, this is the computer and the programming. <laughs> and if we don't invite kind of the soul, the heart and the spirit into the equation, we are only firing one cylinder. So, you know, the, the whole of us is what, 
our energy is and it's how to manage and and be productive in our energy by utilizing the whole of us and then immersing it along with nature and cosmos and on a side note a brilliant show um, on the astronauts and and what they've learned about the earth from space and as you said their journey is one strange rock on netflix Oh, yeah. uh, narrated by Will Smith. It's a 10 part series. It is utterly beautiful. And again, it puts life into perspective. While we are so busy bitching about something down here on Earth, when you see things from above and you see really how small we are and what a short lifespan we have, mm. um, why are we wasting it? Mm. You know, why are we wasting it on? on you know, negative thoughts or, or retaliation or grumpiness or this or that, when there is so much creativity lying within us ready to be spent. Mm -hmm. You know, this instant, uh, instrument of ours needs to be played. We need to find our orchestra and we need to create that symphony. And if we could just get on with that, we would really see all of the world's problems being resolved because we've mm -hmm. got to remember we're the ones that created them in the first place. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. actually have the ability to resolve them, but it means us cohesively, collaboratively, and harmoniously bring our energies together in a symphony that really ripples and resonates out as an invitation to everyone else. So I'm really glad you're doing the work that you're doing because people stuff is what gets in the way of everything. You know, we, we, we are absolutely awesome creatures. We have so much creativity and ability, but we are our own worst enemy. And that comes from past conditioning or expectation or ego or just, you know, um, old systems that aren't working. And we really need to have to be willing to adapt, adjust and grow and go with the flow because what worked yesterday doesn't work today and it won't work tomorrow. So whether you're the leader or whether you are an entrepreneur, um, whoever you are out there that's needing that help um, to kind of, get it all in alignment, get all that energy in alignment so that you can do the people stuff well, because unless you're a hermit, you're going to be interacting with people. <laughs> and so you need to get your people stuff down so that your, in, you know, inter, your reaction and inter, um, interaction with people is one that is one that is pleasing for everybody. So get hold of you. So how do they get hold of you? Well, you can find me on my website at zoerouth.com. That's Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H dot com. LinkedIn is a great place to reach out as well. So uh, Zoe Routh or Zoe Herbert Routh is my maiden name. And uh, I publish daily on LinkedIn and I have a blog and a podcast as well. So you can find between those two sites, you'll get everything you need to connect with me. And your books are also found on your sites. Can you give us the title of your books? Yes. Uh, here they are right here. My first three, uh, here we go, Composure, um, How Centered Leaders Make the Biggest Impact. I was book number one, Moments, Leadership that when, <laughs> Moments, Leadership when it matters most. Mm -hmm. I was book number two. Book number three is Loyalty. Ah, Stop Unwanted. I know, it's the, I love the ship on it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Stop Unwanted Staff Turnover, Boost Engagement, and Create Lifelong Advocates. My fourth book, People Stuff, I'm currently writing. And it will be out in May 2020. So that they're all available on my website or at Amazon. So you can buy the ebook or the hard copy book through those major platforms. And uh, and I assume that the people that you interview on the podcast are, are people in the same type of line of work. Um, you know, out that are people, people. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. So the, the, the people that I interview on my podcast are either experts in people stuff in their respective fields. So yeah. lately I've done a lot of interviews around culture, mm-hmm. um, around uh, mindset, around diversity and inclusion. So there's a series of them. And the other people I interview are leaders in the field. So from the trenches type of interview. Right. So how are they living and breathing and working leadership in their different contexts? Right. So the lesson and- continues right? That's right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do the podcast because I learned so much from it. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. After seven and a half years of doing this, it's been my best therapy ever. Yes. (laughs) Fantastic. And the programs you do, uh, uh, are they a particular length or are they, you know, do you have different sizes for different um, different people? Uh, Yes. They do go through, depends on the individual and the organization. The Your Stuff program is a 12-month one. Um, which is for individual leaders. The uh, the team stuff program is over a series of months, probably three to six months. Uh, the leadership stuff program, again, similar can go, well, it's probably best done six to 12 months, that one. Um, and then my group, the other program I didn't mention is my amplifiers program where individuals can come and join in as a group of leaders. So leaders from all sorts of different sectors, we meet once a quarter and do a deep dive on one of the leadership stuff aspects and share insights and so on. Um, so there's that one, there's a 12 month program that's ongoing that people can join into there. And, you know, this is something I want to point out to people, you know, six months, 12 months, I know we're in a society today. Well, I just want to download an app, you know, plug it in. Uh, you know, it doesn't work that way. Um, change happens uh, slowly and systematically uh, to undo old programming you have to insert new programming and it has to be repetitive and constantly you know advanced forward and as human beings it generally does take us a good six months before you know that change is set into place and that 12 month that really then introduces you know the the real new patterning um, of what you're doing and obviously you're giving support along the line there as well um, so it's something that one again going back to what I said earlier we need to invest in ourselves so that we can be better investors in our people um, so at first it has to start with ourselves and if you're not willing to put that time in then you're not going to get the results you want so there are no quick fixes um, but it's a willingness to take the journey isn't it Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's um, the, a good starting point is, is getting one of the books mm-hmm. and because they can be your constant companion and you can do little bite-sized chunks of development a bit by bit uh, through the books. They're designed that way. They're designed as handbooks for folks for reflection. Right. And of course, but, the podcast things as well. And then you get right. to a point and you go, you know, this is the avenue I need help in. Now I can reach out to Zoe because I really know where I need the help. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. It's like, ah, oh, now I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> And that's again, you can't help those who are unwilling to help themselves. So if you are wanting to do something, you've got to be willing to participate in it, be interactive in it. Because if not, you know, if you don't turn up, you're not going to get anything out of it. So this is when you're ready, willing and able. And when you are, Zoe is there ready, willing and able to help you through the process. And your site Thank again. You so much. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. This has been delightful. We've covered a lot of subjects here today. So yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're in business or not. This is something that, you know, we're leaders in our own lives. It's something we can apply to our own lives and be more aware because we go through life unaware. 
and just be more aware of how we're putting ourselves out. And if we're getting negativity back, well, what are you putting out? And how could you be a better leader and a better inviter in your own life? So this, these are good lessons for everybody. Uh, so it's Zoe Ralph. R-O-U-T-H dot com. And uh, you're in Australia. You primarily work with people in Australia? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I'm a Canadian originally and I live in Australia now. So then my main client group when I do face-to-face -face work is in Australia. I do travel for speaking engagements though. So happy to travel anywhere in the world for an opportunity to speak. Excellent. Wonderful. And so if you're in Australia, folks, please just get out there and um, we all need the help. There's no shame in asking for help. There's no shame in saying, you know, I'm stuck here. Or, you know, um, I know I can be more. I know I could do more. I know this is my problem. Um, I have an issue with this and that. This is what, you know, other people are there for. This is what the team works. She is part of your team to help you through it. So, you know, there's no stigma in asking for help, folks. This is where the courage comes in to get your strength, be courageous, ask for the help. And once you've gone through the other end, you really will like who you've become. So thank you so much, Zoe, for being with us here today. And to everyone else, please, zoeroth.com. Reach out to her, listen to some of her podcasts, read her book, and um, have a chat with her. See if she's a fit with you. Because we all would like everyone to put their best foot forward. Until next time, folks, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. To find many more shows of inspiration, please go to selfdiscoverymedia.com, podcasts, and you will see an array of shows to choose from. Please do visit our www.discoveringcommunities.org and see what else that we have in store for you. Do enjoy our next show.